The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Grab a seat, and uh, while you're doing that, go ahead and grab your Bibles. And uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So go ahead and turn there or turn those Bibles on. If you need a Bible and don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand on up. We've got some in the back that we can pass out and bring around to you. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one with you. That's our gift to you. Uh, New Year's revolution. I know that revolutions are born out of some sort of uh, uneasiness within us, and so you think of a, uh, the American Revolution or, or, or the Hunger Games Revolution, you know, like, okay, this is, there's things that aren't supposed to be this way, and so there's a movement that rises, some revolution that rises that moves people forward in a certain direction, whether you're a Terminator fan where Genesis is Skynet, Skynet is Genesis, bum, 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 right? There's a revolution. Are you part of the cause? Are you part of the revolution? Are you part of the movement? right? Uh, The Maze Runner is a great one, right? Are you part of the movement? Are you part of the revolution? And it's born out of some sort of indifference or some sort of uneasiness that says this is not how it should be. There needs to be a movement. How many of you guys have ever seen, uh, like, like uh, on social media or the or the web, these um, these before and after pictures? I mean, you could do it with really anything. Uh, so uh, you you decide to paint your living room, and so what do you do? You take a before picture and you take an after picture, and then you put them up side by side and say, "Look, look at the difference. See, see, this was this was not good, but this is good. See that." See those side to side? You take uh, the before and after pictures before you start some weight loss movement or some eating habits, some workout. You know, this is me, right? Now this is me, right? And so there's this before and after that say this was not good, but this is good. Listen, when we're uneasy, when there's some sort of discontentment within us, it starts this, this real revolution. And so here we are uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I want to show you how God desires us ultimately to be transformed, not necessarily externally, but internally. And so let me set the stage for you. Our text is going to be between verses 12 and 18, but let me set the stage for you in chapter 3, verse 1. Here it goes. It says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, some letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts. So he's talking about some sort of new covenant being moving forward. And really the seal of the covenant is not saying, yeah, I've seen this. Uh, I approve of this. It's rather people being transformed by their hearts. And he says, he says, it's written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you, this is verse three, show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit, the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of of human hearts. And so here's the deal. You know that the stones had tablets, the tablets, stone tablets had the law written on them. And he's talking about going to see the glory of God. And the glory of God is limited in just looking at the commandments, but the glory of God is seen 
through believers being transformed by the Spirit as the assurance to the world that light shines in the darkness. Not just simply tablets. And so let's move to verse 12 now. Since we have such a hope, what's the hope? The hope is that the glory of God is now in us and not just simply on a wall somewhere. Now that we have a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites not, may not gaze upon the outcome of what was being brought to an end, meaning the Jesus fulfilled the law, but their minds were hardened. Their minds were hardened from seeing the glory of God in just commandments. Their minds were hardened for even to this day. When they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. So when you just read the law or read the rules or read the commandments, the glory of God somehow is veiled unless it's showing you Christ. It says, but their minds were hardened. For even to this day, they read the Old Covenant. Through Christ, it is taken away. Only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, even to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their what? Hearts. And so the glory of God is not only seen with our eyes, but he's talking about seeing the glory of God through Christ in the commandments, in the law that shines into our hearts. Our veil is removed from our hearts. But, verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with an unveiled face, and I'll add, with an unveiled heart, now that we see and know with an unveiled face, we behold the glory of the Lord and are being, give me that word, transformed. So now, as we see God, as we see the glory, and in chapter 4, it says that the glory of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. As we look at the Word of God, and it reveals Jesus Christ, a veil is taken away over our eyes, over our hearts, and upon that unveiling, we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this, this transformation comes From the Lord who is spirit. 2015 is history. And here we are moving in 2016 with resolutions in hand. Wanting change. Don't we? Don't we want change? Maybe you're like me and there's an uneasy in you maybe looking back at the past year or even looking at your morning or even looking right where you sit, you're just saying, man, there is an uneasiness, almost a holy discontentment where really, truly, these are more than words in a song that says, Lord, I need you. I need you to change me. I need you to transform me. Lord, take me deeper. When when most people say they want change, really what they mean is they want some sort of external change. I mean, if you just look at resolutions or uh, just talk to your friends, right? Typically, change is some type of external change. And so, you know, 2016, uh, I'm going to eat better, right? And so I'm going to get rid of all the junk food in my house. Anybody do that, right? You go through the pantry and like, we're not eating that. We're not eating that. Nope. How about this? You look at the ingredients. 
Ooh, no, not that. I thought that was healthy, but it's not. And so you, you get rid of all those things, and so you make some resolutions to lose some weight external or be smarter or study a little better, and so that's external. And so what we do is we begin to put things into place so that we can hit this year head on. So we join a gym or go to the store and buy some good stuff, right, or do whatever. I mean, you fill in the blank to whatever that is. Typically, it's all external. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus came and God will change us. And the very first change that he makes in us is making us alive. He makes us born again. The first change that he does within us is unveiling our faces and unveiling our hearts to see ultimately that we do need him. That we need him more than any of these external things. It's an unveiling to see, as Ephesians 2 says, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That we follow our passions, we follow our flesh, and by nature, we're children of God's wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great, 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 great love for us that we see, he unveils our hearts and he makes us alive together with him. And so that is the first change that God brings about for us in this life transformation. And so the coming of Jesus Christ, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the power in which makes us new. We are born again into a living hope. And that's the power of the gospel. But it is also the power not only to be made new, but it's also the power to be transformed, to be changed from self to, to new self, to self to Christ, beholding the glory of God. Now, this is where we fall short, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, the power to be transformed, I mean... Yeah, I mean, born again. Yeah, I'm a believer. Yeah, I'm saved. Yeah, by grace, through faith. I, I get that. But, he, but here's the deal. Most people fall short because they don't understand that new life in Christ and new birth in Christ and believing in Jesus Christ brings about a new life of empowerment by the Spirit of God, which absolutely dwells in us to be transformed. And thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Americans will sit in a church service much like this one this morning and and say man i know jesus yeah gee oh yeah isn't that the guy who just had a birthday <laughs> jesus christ yeah, yeah 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 i i know him i believe in him i mean historically i mean i know some things that he did i mean he was born in a manger right he walked and talked like this and and he said some things and he opened blind eyes and he healed the sick and raised the dead and you know he did some things like walking on water and feeding five thousand. and didn't, didn't he the guy that was nailed to the cross jesus yeah i believe all that happened amen we believe it yet no no change yeah there's no no change. And if there is a change, it's just basically church attendance. I used to go to church, but I used to not go to church, but now I go to church. There's no, no transformation. Many people will confess to be believers, but really they ultimately have the same anxieties and the same frustrations about real change that the world does. And the world sees that and says, there must not be power in the gospel. What is that? 
because we have the same desires of the flesh and we have the same fears that the world fears and the same joys attached to worldly things rather than spiritual things. And we believe somehow that the power of the gospel is not powerful enough to change us. And so many people that confess Jesus, hear me now, that confess Jesus are stuck into some complacent spirituality, living apathetic lives, dead to the things of God, dead to spiritual things, dead to holiness, and who cares about Christ's likeness? And so we would say, I believe. So, so listen to me. Apparently, there's not much power in just giving the right answers. There must not be much power and just affirming something's true. There must not be much power in knowing some historical facts about a man named Jesus. What we desperately lack in our churches today is not people who just simply affirm Jesus or can even talk to you about the doctrine of Christ, but what we desperately lack is the power to be changed by that truth and transformed by that truth because that's the reality of the gospel. And so faith in Jesus Christ is so much more than just simply affirming some facts or simply knowing historically what happened to Jesus and even saying, I believe it. There's a message of hope there. There's a message of hope in the gospel. Listen, and it's a message that is to be received by faith through all of us. For everyone, every, every kid, every boy and girl, listen, it's a message of hope for every teenager, for every mom, for every dad, for every grandma and grandpa. It's, it's a message of hope for every complacent husband and naggy wife and intolerant coworker and, and begrudging neighbors. It's a message of hope for idolaters and swindlers and drunks and, and porn addicts. It's, it's, it's a message for hope for preachers and churchgoers and families and friends, and it's a message of hope for you to change. Real power to change is a real message of hope. The message of Christ is a message of hope that we are made new and real transformation can occur, which, which means whatever's undesirable in your life, whatever is holding you back from running a race toward Christ it can be put to death. It can change. Four to six weeks from now, some of you will make some resolutions today and four to six weeks from now, walk, it out, walk out on it all and say, change, that's, that's not for me. It's not for me. And we'll, we'll begin to say things, I guess this is just the way I am. Christ's love for you doesn't change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God doesn't love some future version of you. And God's love for you is not based on your performance. But you can't give up on the power of the gospel to transform you and say things like, that's just the way I am. The moment we begin to believe that change for my life is not possible is the moment in which we reject the gospel. It's like, it's like your car is broke down and, 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 and your battery's not working. Typically happens in the winter. Amen? <laughs> Three feet of snow, ice everywhere, right? Can't even get the hood popped. <laughs> right? 
and your battery's dead. You know your battery's dead. And the, and the, and the tow truck, the AAA guy, he pulls up, right? And he gets out. And he's like, oh, you need to jump? Yeah, I need to jump. And he takes out the jumper cables and he say, oh, you know what? You don't need to hook that up because that's just the way the car is. No, it's dead. It's, it's just the way it is. And you don't even let them hook it up to the battery. And you're just sitting there stuck in, in, in life and you're stuck in your complacency and you're stuck in your apathy and you're just saying, you know, that's just the way I am. Not only does the jumper cables attach you to the power of God for transformation, not only does it bring death to life, not only does it give it power to run, but it gives it power to move from one degree of glory to the next. And so here we are, can't say, you know, that's just the way I am. I mean, let me just be honest. Let me ask you a question. Do you really want change I mean, do you really want to be transformed? I mean, think about that. Some of you, some of you right now, you're saying, oh, Eric, I've, uh, I've tried religion, man. I mean, I've tried that thing. I mean, I grew up in this thing, right? And I, and I tried it with all my heart. Listen to me. Look right at me. Some of you have been in church for a while. Listen, it is possible to do church activities without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It is possible to volunteer in a church, sit in a pew, sing in a band. It is possible for you to operate in religious activities and not be filled with the Spirit. But there is no way that you can do what Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death those things that are earthly in you without the power of the Spirit. And that's where we fall short, isn't it? The power of transformation. Oh yeah, we go to church. I believe in you. I volunteer. I give. I do that thing. But listen, you cannot put to death the things that are earthly in you without the Holy Spirit empowering you to do so. And so here we are. And we say, you know what, uh, you, you can sing songs, you hear a sermon or two, I mean, for years and years and years. And you even, you even know the right time to shout out an occasional, amen, preacher, right? And you, amen. And you maybe, maybe you've done those things and maybe you agreed with the pastor's prayer at the end. Or maybe, maybe you even got wet somewhere on the road. Or maybe you ate a stale cracker or drank some juice or something like that. But in the end of the day, you have not been transformed, and so, so, so listen, have you ever fasted for three days? Asking God to transform, uh, two days, a day, an hour. <laughs> Pleading with God for real life transformation. Have you, ever, have you ever gone to your boss and asked for a vacation day because sin is building up in such a way and you've gone away by yourself and saturated yourself with the word of God in the pursuit of holiness and poured out your soul longing to God for change? Have you ever done that? Have you ever gathered around you spiritual godly men and women to hold you accountable to the things that you're struggling with in your life? Daily asking them, check on me, call on me, I'm struggling here asking the Spirit of God to put to death those things that are earthly in you? You ever done that? No? Then don't say religion doesn't work. 
Then don't say this thing doesn't work for me because what you're doing is not a pursuit of holiness. It's not a pursuit of God. It's church is a hobby. That's what we're doing here. And so don't say, you know, that's just the way I am. And you've never really asked God to change you. Do you really want change? Really? No. We'd rather be bitter. Never forgiving that person that hurt us. Never dealing with our struggles. Never dealing with our junk or our luggage. Always just carrying it, unforgiveness. We'd, we, we, we don't want to do the hard heart work of spiritual transformation, which is walking with God. Rather, what we would do is volunteer somewhere and stay busy so we don't even have to think about it. You know what we do instead of the hard work of passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ? We do Bible study. Now listen, you cannot be transformed without the word of God, so don't mishear me. But we've been studying the Bible for decades. Some of you have been in and out of every fellowship group that you can imagine. And you are experts on biblical truth, but you have no intention of walking in any of the truth that you're reading. Listen, you've been fellowshipping and fellowshipping and fellowshipping and reading and reading and reading and reading, but you can't remember the last time you confessed your sins and your struggles. I mean, you've been doing Bible study all your life. You've been in Awana's group to youth group to senior group. You've gone through the whole step, yet you've never shared the gospel with somebody. I mean, you've never made a disciple. I mean, you've never actually led somebody to Christ, which, by the way, are all sins of omission. Anyone who knows the good who ought to do and does not do it is a sin. Oh, we're so caught up. Hey, is drinking a sin? Is this a sin? Is this a sin? Is that a sin? Is that a sin? That a sin? Listen, you're living a life of sin when you omit the great commission in your life. And say, no, I don't want to do that, God. I'd rather do whatever makes me comfortable and busy myself so I never have to worry about being transformed. And so apparently there's no power in just simply knowing some facts. I mean, doctrinally, you can... You could, you've been in church long enough, you could come in and you could doctrinally correct anyone in the room. You could. But there's no power in knowing right answers. There's no power in winning an argument. There's only power in life transformation. The power of the gospel. Moses fasted for 40 days. Elijah fasted for 40 days. Jesus fasted for 40 days. Spent all night praying. When was the last time you wanted change in your life bad enough to ask God to, to wreck you? The problem with most of us is not that the gospel message is powerless, but we don't really want to be transformed. Now look back in 2 Corinthians 3, because there's great hope for us. There is. Look in verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. What's the veil keeping us from? It's keeping us from seeing the glory of God. It's keeping us from seeing God. It's keeping us from beholding God. But when one comes and turns to the Lord, there's a veil that is removed. 
Now the Lord is spirit. And then where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom to let go of things and walk away from things and freedom to say, I don't need that anymore. I need God. There's a veil that's been removed. I've seen the glory of God and these things look very dim to me and now I'm walking in freedom. And we all, with an unveiled face, give me that verb. It's beholding. You know what beholding is? It's, it's taking into it's it's a receiving it's a it's a it's a grabbing and and cherishing and looking to and longing for and it's a beholding and so we with an unveiled face are beholding beholding which means it's continuing we don't just once in 1978 behold Christ and then try to work it out on our own the rest of our lives we are constantly beholding because my veil has been removed I'm beholding and beholding and beholding the glory glory of the Lord. And when I'm beholding the glory of the Lord every day, I'm being transformed into one image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. God does it. Transformation comes from the spirit through Jesus Christ, removing a veil over our hearts and our eyes that keeps us from seeing him so that we can behold the glory of God. And when we do that, change. When we do that, we change. Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Did you know, did you know in, in Mark chapter eight, Jesus says, he says, what good is it for you to gain the whole world let, yet lose your own soul? What good is it? What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his own soul? You, you don't know the answer to that? It doesn't. It doesn't. You don't gain anything. And the reason why so many of us make resolutions year after year after year after year, the same resolutions year after year after year after year, is because we're making resolutions to try and gain the world. What good is it that you gain the whole world yet don't know God? but are never transformed. Where is the man? Where is the woman? Where is the church that longs to behold the glory of God? I pray that this would be that place. I pray that I would be that man. And I need help from God, and I need help from you, and you need help from me, and you need help from one another, and ultimately you need help from the Spirit. And it doesn't come just simply by church attendance or volunteering. Although we need volunteers, and we need you to come and be a part of the group. Listen, not just so we could fill some seats, but I need you to use your gifts and your talents and your love and your abilities to encourage and love and admonish and stir up. And if you're not here, you can't do that. But it's got to go beyond just simply getting plugged in or doing some act. We got to seek him with all our heart. If you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I believe that God could give the gift of transformation apart from a hunger for him, but he doesn't because, because we don't go to a buffet when we just ate. 
I mean, the glory of God would be lost on that, wouldn't it? I mean, imagine a hungry man, a man who hasn't ate, coming to a feast. Thank you. Thank you for this food. Thank you for this food. It tastes so good. It's so delicious. Oh, thank you. Imagine if you just ate a giant dinner on things of the world, and you come in and be like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not, I'm not really hungry. It's like people who are being fed before they're really hungry. But the feast of God's transformation will go down on an empty stomach only when we begin to seek him earnestly and saturate ourselves with the word and saturate ourselves with self-denial. Does hunger become readily receiving a gift of change? New Year is when we resolve to change things in our lives. And I pray that this year is when we make a change to seek the glory of God, behold the glory of God so that we are changed, that we receive the gift of change, that we receive the gift of transformation by God's power. Listen, we don't have the power to do it within ourselves. So if you think I'm standing up here telling you, work harder, try harder, be better. Listen, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying seek God, behold his glory, run after him, chase him, and that will come. Run after God. The power of Christ is the power to be transformed. People who don't want change either are perfect or they're disobedient. And since perfection awaits us on the day that Christ returns or calls us home, self-satisfaction is always disobedience. And so we, we can't just simply be satisfied. The message of Christ is the message of transformation. For all of us to move away from critical spirits, to move away from bitterness, to move away from gossips, to move away from pride and away from alcoholism and away from irrationability or harshness or laziness or overeating or masturbating or nagging or, or not tithing and not giving generously or being indifferent to God's mission, that's us. That's me. God, help us. I find it so strange that physical and intellectual changes, they captivate us. They capture us, but spiritual change doesn't, you know, which is by far the most important. And so we, we make a resolution, to, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run 10 miles. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have an undefeated season. That's, that's my goal this year. My goal this year is to have an undefeated season. My, my goal this year is to uh, get on the team. My, my goal this year is to run a certain length. My goal this year is to get a 4.0. My goal this year is graduate with my master's and be a little smarter and get that degree. And my goal this year is to become a vice president or to get a promotion. Which, which listen, listen to me, all of those calls for an amazing amount of effort and discipline, does it not? Every one of those, you have to buckle down, you have to saturate yourself, you have to go after it. But you offer the same people a challenge of killing their habits of prayerlessness or killing their habits of excessive anger or killing their habits of bitterness or killing their habits as gossips or killing their habits as greed and go to war with your sin. The furthest we go with our belief is 
okay, God, help me do better. And usually that comes right at the end of service after I shout at you for about 30 minutes and you say, God, help me. And then you walk out and go to lunch and nothing changes. Today, may you be a man or a woman that doesn't settle with empty talk. Let us run. Let us run pleading with Christ to unveil my heart and unveil my face so that I would behold his glory, that he would fill me with his spirit so that I can be transformed into his image. I want to close with a text in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, who was Saul, who persecuted the church, killed Christians, was hunting them, was, was opposed to Christ in every way. Look at what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 12. This is, this is Paul. He says, I thank him who has given me strength. Who's the him? Christ Jesus our Lord. Because he has judged me faithful, Appointing me to his service, and, and as a man who, who has been called into the service of God, let me just tell you, that is, it's overwhelming how he would choose a wretch like me to be a messenger for his good news. He's given me strength, Christ Jesus the Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor. and I was an insolent opponent, but I received give me that word. Mercy, because I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance. Listen, it's trustworthy and it needs to be fully accepted. Here it is. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I am the worst of the worst. Christ Jesus came into the world to save me, the worst sinner. But I received mercy for this reason. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to who? Those who would believe in him for eternal life. And when that veil is removed, you behold the glory. And when you behold the glory, you begin to say things like, to the king of the ages, the immortal, the invisible, the only God, be all the honor and all the glory forever and ever. Amen. Why did Christ choose the chief persecutor of the church to become the chief missionary of the church so that this morning you would be able to receive the message of change. It's possible. Sometimes God will knock us off that horse. And sometimes we got to get down off and on our knees and ask God to change us. Ask God to change us. He says, I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience for all of us as an example. Let us not belittle the mercy of God by saying, I cannot change. Because call Paul's, calls the power of change, he calls it mercy. 
calls it mercy, which means Paul's not glorifying himself in his own actions, but the Savior that gave him a gift of mercy. It is God's mercy that would not allow you to continue to walk in your mundane, indifferent lives to God, but it is his grace that breaks you and says, I need you. Transformation is always a gift. Always a gift. It's never a wage. It is never to be boasted in, but it can be sought. Transformation is always a gift, but it can be sought. And it can be accepted by faith. It cannot be earned so that none of the changes that God gives us can be the basis of pride. The more Christ-like you become in 2016, the more, the more you glorify Christ in your lives. You don't get the glory. He gets the glory. Mercy is a gift. So I plead with God, transform us. May we pursue him with all our hearts so that the veil is removed, real change begins, and so we respond to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, honor and glory forever. We are not saved from sin and changed to righteousness for the sake of pride, but rather for the sake of praise. Let's go after him. 2016, I can't wait to see what God does with the people that chase him with all their hearts. With all my feeble efforts, I promise I'm going to try and lead the way. But there's going to be times I need you to come and pick me up and walk where I can't. And so I'm going to pray for you. Come on. Lord, today, I know you, you possess the power to transform us because your word is true. I know that you possess the power through Christ to unveil our hearts because your word is true. I know that you have the power through the Holy Spirit, God, to change us, to allow us to behold your glory, to see you. And so, Jesus, right now, I not only pray for this body, but I pray for myself as a man, who though I may be weak, you are strong in me. And today I receive the truth that change is possible for me. Lord, I believe that change is possible for your church in America. And I believe change is possible for this congregation. You are the righteousness. You are the holiness. It is you that my heart desires. And I pray that as we enter into 2016, we would truly count the cost of carrying the cross, fixing our eyes upon you, 
and ridding ourselves of anything that gets in the way by your spirit, not so that we can boast, but so that we can glorify. Your gospel is powerful. Your spirit is life-changing. For that to fall, I want to confess I need you. So find me right here in this moment on my knees pleading. Spirit, come. God, come. Break us to make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. LifePoint Church exists to engage, encourage, and equip through the gospel for the glory of God. Therefore, it is our prayer that the word of God would be an encouragement to your heart and lead you into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. If you would like to support the ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at thelifepointconnection.com slash give. May God bless and may your life point to Christ everywhere in every way. <laughs>